Welcome back to episode three of the Web Gems Fantasy Podcast. I'm Double J Johnny here with Say Hey Kid. All right, let's jump in. Um, so we're gonna start with our Web Gems history segment. Um, looking at 2007, but before we do that, we gotta go back to 2006. We gotta right a wrong. We gotta right a wrong. <laughs> As Brandon pointed out. Brad did not play in 2006. He was, in fact, not the Cerebral Assassins. It was Brandon, which I don't know how I missed that because we didn't even say Brandon's name when we went through the list of managers. And Brandon played from the get-go. So that was a complete oversight. I saw Cerebral Assassins, and I immediately assumed Brad because he's such a huge Triple H fan. But I forgot what a huge Triple H fan Brandon was back in the day. Well... Uh, and obviously, I failed to notice that Brandon's name wasn't mentioned, but um, I'm old, and I don't know what your excuse is. <laughs> I'm bald. That's my excuse. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so, uh, 2006 was not Brad's first year, um, and it was, in fact, that was Brandon, and he finished fifth place as Cerebral Assassins. Okay. So, going... Back to the future, 2007, um, is Brad's first year playing. Uh, we had 11 teams in 2007, and this was the inaugural season of Web Gems. Right. Uh, previously, it was Major League, then the Sandlot, Sandlot, and then we finally found our identity in the Web Gems. Um, I like to tinker with names. <laughs> does, does everybody understand what Web Gems, where that comes from? Uh, well, there was the ESPN segment right. where it was like top plays of the day or something like right. that. But didn't they like post them online or something? So they, that's why they were called Web Gems because there was an internet aspect to them. I don't recall. I just know it came from... When I hear Web Gems, I think of plays of the day. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like... The, this was like something they posted on their website every day. And I thought, well, fantasy baseball's on the internet. And the name kind of seemed to fit. Well, all of you out there listening, if you have more insight into that or would like to chime in, uh, please do so on our group me page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's go through the list of players, shall we? Yeah. All right. Well, our winner this year, 2007, uh, was... Uncle Eric, as the Kennewick Lions, it was his first win. Um, this was his, his his second season, right? Because he played oh well or no, it was no, his no, it's third his third season. season. Okay, so oh five, he'd finished in fourth place. That was the Jason Schmidt season. Uh, in two thousand six, he jumped up to second place, and then in two thousand seven. Uh, he made it to first place. Progressively so, better. Yeah, a little better every year. Um, the winner of the moves race that season, though, was not Uncle Eric. It was... Say hey, kid. Say hey, kid, with 138. Um, okay, so Kennewick Lions, first place. Second place was Brad. I'm, I am 100% sure this is Brad. 352 hammer. Uh, Brad... <laughs> Brad and I, when we lived in Sacramento, and we would play football in the street, and we would do plays. Okay. Um, we would call out 
a random three-digit number and then some sort of uh, blunt force object, and that meant a deep pass. Okay. <laughs> and our favorite call was 352 <laughs> Hammer. <laughs> Great. So 352 Hammer was like the default go deep call. And that's what he named his inaugural team. And he finished just behind Uncle Eric, which is how he would finish for the next, I don't know how many seasons, always behind Uncle Eric. And that's why he ended up, I think one season, Uncle Eric called his team Brad's Kryptonite. Right, exactly. (laughs) I was just going to say that. I think a couple years ago when Uncle Eric had kind of his uh, rebuilding season, I think Brad finally broke the curse, but... Yeah, uh, he he started it off right away. But first for and second place for years, Brad's goal wasn't even to win; it was just to get past Eric. Just to right? beat Eric. Yeah. That's right. All right, third place. We had Little Hedgehogs, and do you remember who that was? Um, we talked about it. We did. This was, uh, I believe, uh, Aaron. Oh yeah, Uncle that's Eric's right. son. That's right. Uh, I think Aaron is the only of his, only of his four sons to play, and he only played one season. Yeah. I was, re- oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was wondering if it was named after Sonic somehow or something. Yeah, it could be. But anyway. Um, I specifically remember this season and Aaron playing because, first of all, I traded draft picks with him, and he ended up with uh, Alex Rodriguez, who had in it, it I think this was... Alex Rodriguez's huge season. I think this is the year where he went like I think he hit like fifty home runs or something like that. Let me pull it up real quick. So this is oh seven. That year, a- <laughs> yep, uh, A Rod hit three fourteen. He had a ten sixty seven OPS. He had fifty four home runs, a hundred forty three runs, a hundred fifty six RBS, twenty four stolen bases. He was insane that season. And I remember trading down because I kind of liked the depth that the first round carried. And we'll go into who I ended up picking. Um, Needless to say, it was no one nearly as good as A-Rod. And I remember that season, uh, Aaron didn't make too many moves. In fact, he made 14. (laughs) 14 moves. And he came in third place. And if I remember, I think he was winning much of the season. And then he kind of fell off in the last couple months. Is that your recollection? Or do you have any recollection of that? I think I said I'm old. And I, you know, <laughs> I don't remember. All right. Well, uh, so that was uh, Aaron, Little Hedgehogs. Uh, I came in fourth. I was Boomsticks, uh, named after a, a famous scene from Army of Darkness, uh, which I was kind of obsessed with through high school. And I recall. Into my 20s. Uh, fifth place, say hey kid. Say hey kid. Sixth place was the Wachutu Devil Birds, which was Justin. And then we have five teams remaining, only one of which I'm sure of. Seventh place was the Reavers. I have no, I, I don't know who that is. Um, Reavers, I believe, is a reference to uh, the TV show Firefly, and there are some. Uh, a species called the Reavers who kind of wreak havoc on the universe. And so... Uh, it's not Brandon. I mean, it's not... Uh, you know what? Angelo? You know what? I think it might be um, Sean Ireland again. Okay. Because he did play a couple of seasons. Yeah. He didn't just play one. So this might have been Sean Ireland. Although I remember him kind of losing interest 
after a couple months in the season, so I'm surprised he finished seventh. But uh, and then eighth place was Orange Penguins, which would lead one to believe this was Greg, Greg again. Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. Does he have Kurt Schilling? <laughs> uh, no, he doesn't. At least he didn't at the end of the season. Keep in mind what we can see here is only end of season rosters. Right. Uh, Northwest was Angelo. Oh, that's uh, right. He came in ninth place, Angelo, back again this season uh, with his son Donovan. Uh, tenth was some team named Bombats, which I don't know. But not the way Bombats are spelled. It's B-O-M-B and then a separate word, Bats. Yeah. Right. Was there some guy and his son that you knew who played? This is ringing bells. Oh well, that was Ron. It would have could have been Ron Unger. And did he have a son? Yeah. I feel like there was a father and son who yeah. played with us one yeah. year. This must have been them. Uh, so okay. Bombats was tenth, and then Falcons forty four was eleventh. I think that's who it was. Uh, who who was this guy? Uh, Ron Unger. He and I worked together at Law Room. Okay. Do you have recollection of him playing with us? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember very well because he came over. And we had the draft in your apartment that year. And uh, they were there. My apartment. Which apartment? The, the one, one in I, Martinez. Was I lived in with with Zach? Yeah. And they were over. Yep. They were there. And okay. it was a long draft. Okay. Yeah. And Ron commented on that at work. <laughs> I think they might have even left early or something. I don't I, know. You know what? This is starting to come back to me, yeah. and I think you're right about that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we have. Uh, so that rounds out. The eleven teens, and I wanted to mention something. Um, talking about my trade with Aaron reminded me of this. There is something I really miss about doing web gems the way we used to do it, and I'm also reminded because I believe this could be the last year that we. No, this this can't have been the last year we did the league the league this way. But there are a couple posts at the end of the season referring to a keeper league. Um, I wrote on October 1st uh, great season thanks guys looks like it'll be a keeper league next year so maybe the following season we did do a regular draft and then we ended up implementing keepers the year after um, but anyway so web gems didn't used to be a keeper league didn't used to be an auction league it used to just be a standard redraft snake league and the thing I really miss about it is when we would all get together in mock draft. Like it felt like we would do that once a week, once every couple of weeks in the few weeks leading up to the draft. Um, do you remember doing that? I don't remember being as frequent as you're remembering, but and, I do and, recall. You know what? It might not have been that frequent. Yeah, but I do recall getting together uh, 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 my house. We also went to like, Denny's or IHOP or something and did it there once or twice. Um, but yes. And, and we looked forward to those mock drafts. And then I always got accused of like drafting people I would never draft I, in a million years. I hated mock drafting with you. I hated it because you would pick guys. I'm like, Dad, you are not going to pick that guy. There's no way. you. And you're like... I'm just trying something. I want to see how this goes. I'm like, you're ruining the integrity of the mock draft. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get really frustrated about that. But yeah, I remember IHOP. I remember Panera. 
Uh, I remember one year we all met at Spaghetti Factory because Brad worked at Spaghetti Factory. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if he was... We might have even gone when he was working, knowing he was working, and he might have called us over, or maybe he just came on his off time. But I really, really missed that. Yeah, that missed... was that is something. And, and you got kind of the, your draft fix in advance of the actual draft. I mean, it was fun. Yeah, mock, I mean, the draft is it's the culmination of the most exciting part of the season is prepping for your picks and then just getting together and then making your actual picks it's 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 the most fun moment of the season for me i don't know i think very few would argue with you yeah uh and then doing the mock drafts was just so exciting it was so fun and uh i i I miss that a lot I, i really really miss that did you bring up Falcons 44? Uh, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay, I well, missed that. Yeah, there it is. Uh, no, I know, but I mean, did you, when we were going down the teams, I think you cut it off at... Oh, no, no, no. No, I, yeah. I think I mentioned it. But anyway, Falcons 44, which was sounds... I, we're pretty sure it was the son of this guy, Ron, you worked with. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I think we misunderstood. They did a team together. Oh, did they? Yes. They uh, No, they, they didn't have two teams. Oh, okay. I'm pretty uh, sure So about they that. were Bombats then? Probably. And then Falcons 44, I have no idea who it is. Uh, whoever it is, it was their last year playing uh, fantasy baseball. And I've, I'm looking at their profile, and they've played fantasy football since then. It could, have been, it could have been Sean Casey, my friend from high school, but I don't think this is the year he played. I'm pretty sure he played after I moved in with uh, Brandon. Amanda. It's it's pro- good chance with the name is somebody that played some sport for College Park, and their number was 44. Yeah, could be. Not sure who that is. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's look at the draft results. Um, again, the draft results, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain these are, um, the rounds are correct, but the order within the round is incorrect. Um, so that season, uh, I took, well, these are all out of order, but these are all the first round picks. Um, we had Bombats taking Albert Pujols, number, uh, almost certainly number one. Uh, Angelo took Chase Utley first that year. Falcons 44 took Derek Jeter. Uh, Brad took Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Howard. I always associate Ryan Howard with Brad. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Brad, Brad had a lot of, uh, many shares of Ryan Howard over the years. Uh, Justin took Wachutu Devilbirds. Uh, no, J- Justin was Wachutu Devilbirds. He yes. took Jose Reyes. Took, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, Aaron, there's the A-Rod pick. I'm pretty sure he had like the third or fourth pick. Uh, Orange Penguins took Alfonso Soriano. Who was a great pick, by the way, because if you remember, he was always good for uh, 30 home runs. And I, I think he's uh, one of those guys that nearly did 40-40. Um, well, certainly a huge improvement over Kurt Schilling, if this was, Greg. Um, in 2006, which would have been the year before, yeah, he was 40-40. He was 40-40. 46 okay. homers, 41 yeah. stolen bases. Uh, 277 uh, wasn't as good back then as it is now, but he did have over 900 OPS that season before. Yeah. And then the year he got drafted, this year we're talking about, he, he dropped considerably, although his average went up to 299, but uh, 33 homers and 19 stolen bases, so uh, quite a bit less in those counting stats. About 100 fewer plate appearances. Yeah, that's true. That makes a little difference. Okay, and then we got uh, Reavers, took Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, great pick, always a great pick. Uh, Eric that season took 
Johan Santana. Johan Santana. No the center gate among the quarter gate controversy. <laughs> uh, you took uh, Aramis Ramirez. Cubs great third baseman Aramis Ramirez, who was always just sneaky good. I remember he always put up top couple round numbers in. He just wasn't flashy. Like he's, he, you know, he wasn't gonna hit forty homers. He, you know, he didn't hit like three thirty, um, but he did everything really well. And I remember in later seasons, he always seemed like a really good value pick. So the year before, he had hit thirty eight home runs. Uh, oh, I guess I was wrong. I guess he did almost hit forty one year. Uh, Two ninety one average. Guy never struck out. Not less than ten percent strikeout rate. Nine point five percent. That's insanely low. It's not Tony Gwynn low, but it's really low. Um, lots of RBIs, 119, uh, over a 900 OPS. So, And then the season you had him, 26 homers, 310 average, over 900 OPS. Ended up being a really good pick. Again, 100 fewer plate appearances than the year before. Yeah, must have been something in the water. Uh, I took Lance Berkman. Great pick. Um, and then I believe... Uh, well, yeah, I made the claim last time that Lance Berkman was only good for about 500 bats every season. And I'm not sure how true that is. I was thinking about it, and yeah, I think I'm wrong. Look at oh, <laughs> uh, Technical difficulties there. Uh, <laughs> that was Junior. Didn't realize we were recording. Uh, so no, he was actually, yeah, he would get, I, I think I was wrong. Uh, he, he wasn't hurt as often as I thought he was. And in 2007, he had a good season. 278, uh, almost a 900 OPS, 34 homers, uh, great walk rate, not too bad strikeout rate. Uh, round two, we'll just look at one more round. Uh, bomb bats with Chris Carpenter. Man, Chris Carpenter must have been, I don't know how many years he was a yeah, he was great. really important pick in the draft. Um, Carl Crawford uh, for Angelo. Um, Falcons 44 took Barry Zito uh, Justin took David Ortiz uh, what you, no that wasn't Justin that was Brad Brad took David Ortiz Justin took the Wachuchu no just kidding he took Roy <laughs> Oswald um, Little Hedgehogs took Mark Teixeira man he had Mark Teixeira and A-Rod, A-Rod that yeah. season that probably explains a lot you know we talked about I kind of talked about David doing really well in the draft and I think that's part of the reason why he played so well. And uh, that might have been the case for Aaron that season, too. Yeah, good season. Well, he's kind of short on plate appearances. 575 for Mark Teixeira, but he hit 306. His OPS was 963, and he had 30 home runs, and he still had over 100 RBI. Yeah. So a little injury shortened, maybe, but still a really good season. He missed 30 games. Thirty. Yeah, that's yeah. considerable. Um, but still, those numbers, probably worth the second-round pick, even with that. Uh, oh, Travis Hafner. Boy, he was good for a few years. He was, and I feel like he what had What was like... his nickname? Yeah, a nickname. Um, I do. I cannot remember it. He had a, cr- a cool nickname. I forgot what it was. Uh, yeah, he was coming off an amazing season. 2006, he had 308. He had a nearly 1,100 OPS. It was just under 1,100. Um, 42 homers, 117 RBIs, 100 runs. And then the following season, this year we're talking about, he dropped quite a bit. Quite a bit, a big regression there. Yeah, only 266, OPS less than 850. Um, great, good, still great walk rate, still great strikeout rate, 
24 homers. Oh my goodness. And in 2006, he did all that in only 129 games. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That's, wow. 33 games missed, if my math's right. Uh, that's impressive. No wonder he got yeah. taken in the second round there. 2007 kind of marked the beginning of the end for him because I think he kind of just faded after that. Yeah, you're right. And I'm looking at 2008. He only played 57 games. He hit 197. And then 2009, he bounced back a little bit with 94 games, got his OPS over 800 again. And then the following season, kind of more of the same. Career home runs, 213, and he hit 42 of those in that one season. In 129 games. About, yeah. about <laughs> close to a fifth, 20%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Reavers took Carlos Beltran. Disgraced. Uh, <laughs> Former manager of the former Mets. Former New York Mets manager. Uh, Eric took Matt Holiday that season. Um, he was a steady, great hitter every year. Yeah, he was. And then you took Vernon Wells, who I feel like Vernon Wells, my recollection is he was an every other year kind of guy. He'd have a great season and then a not so great season. And then a great season and then a not so great season. Well, so in 2006. The year before yeah. this draft, he had 32 homers. He had hit 303, um, and he had almost a 900 OPS. 17 stolen bases. 17 stolen bases. The year you drafted him, uh, <sighs> 16 homers, 10 stolen bases, 245 batting average. Yeah. Barely eclipsed the 700 OPS. I'm painfully recalling this season. I remember I was really high on Vernon Wells, and... Uh, one of the big disappointments for me. Well, the guy, he didn't strike out much. He made a lot of contact. I'm surprised his batting average was so low. For a guy who makes so much contact, 245, that's, you don't expect that. Yeah. Um, and then in subsequent seasons, 08, he jumped to uh, about an 840 OPS in 108 games. 09, dropped to a 711 OPS in 158 games. And then 2010, Almost about an eight, almost an eight fifty OPS in two thousand ten and thirty one home runs. Yeah. Thirty one, yeah. So he kind of was an on again, off again, yep. every, every other year kind of guy. And unfortunately, you got him in that off year. And then with the uh, the final picker, whatever it was uh, of that of round two was uh, David Wright. David Wright was always a great pick. Yeah. Most of the time in the first two rounds, he, he was weird because you just didn't know. What David Wright you were getting? Well, injuries were, played a big part of his career, didn't it? There was that, and then he would like he'd have a year where he stole thirty bases, and then the next year he would steal less than ten, and then there was a year where he'd hit for decent power, and then he dropped a bunch. So, I got him in a good season though. Uh, the year before he went twenty six twenty for homers and stolen bases, I got thirty thirty four out of him with a three twenty five batting average. That was a great pick. Yeah. And the following season, he went 33-15 with a 302 batting average. And then the next season, and this is kind of what I'm talking about, he only had 10 home runs with 27 stolen bases. And that was in 144 games. So it's not like he missed a lot of time. He just inexplicably lost all his power. His isolated slugging was 140 Ooh. when all the previous seasons had been comfortably over 200. I don't know what happened in 09. Um, but anyway, ended up being a great pick for me. 
So, interesting. Only a couple of pitchers. Let's see. Only three in the first two rounds. It doesn't, doesn't really sound like Santana, us. Santana, Carpenter, and Oswald. Yeah, Santana, Carpenter, and Oswald. Um, no, actually, I think that did sound like us in the early years, didn't it? I mean, I, I think that our focus was on hitters. Could be. I remember valuing those ace pitchers a lot. Those ace pitchers that could get the complete games, I remember that being really valuable, but... Looking at it, yeah, looks like we took a lot of hitters. Yeah. Uh, any other uh, recollections from that season or anything ring bells? No. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm old. <laughs> oh, that, wait, wait, yeah, that's what I did. It's, yeah, uh, no, I don't. Um, I don't. Yeah, yeah I, I did say in that great seat, in that post title great season, I, I wrote recruit, recruit, recruit players. So I. Uh, we we must I mean we're still kind of a burgeoning league and we were looking to uh, get some regulars going. Well, we only had eleven, and I it look I we haven't jumped to the next season, but I am imagine at least one or two of these. Uh, the guy that I worked with, they only did one season. Falcons forty four, well, that was probably their last season. Uh, I can't speak to the rest, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that does it for our Web Gems History segment. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We took a bit of, bit of a break there. Um, actually, a rather long break, and during that time, we had the, I had the opportunity uh, to speak with Brad about what we just discussed. Okay, yeah. Um, and he had a surprising amount of insight, um, and one of the things he thought happened that season and actually I think we've confirmed that is you and him made a big draft trade yes do you remember what that trade was uh seems to me that um I traded some draft picks like top one or two draft picks for some players is that right yeah I believe um you traded your first and second round picks to him and then he and then he gave you his like third through eighth. Oh, so it was strictly draft pick trades. It was just okay. draft picks. Oh, and, then, no and then he got those. your like, I don't know, nine to yeah. twelve or that's something. That's right, I remember doing that. Really yeah. interesting philosophical uh trade there of trying to weigh the value of those first two picks versus the value of those, you know, other pretty high level picks. Um, and the reason that I'm pretty sure this happened um, is I'm look when you look at Brad's first four picks, they're all like first and second round guys. And then when we look at your first couple of picks, they are not first and second round players. So Brad's first four picks were Ryan Howard, who was coming off that 54 home run season, uh, David Ortiz, who was coming off an amazing season, Miguel Cabrera, who'd hit over 330 the year before, and Manny Ramirez, who was coming off a great season. Yeah, those guys were all like first and second round picks and Brad got all four of them and then his fifth pick is a huge drop off to Torrey Hunter who was good I mean he I think he hit you know nearly 30 home runs still about 20 bases um Torrey Hunter was one of those you know nice value picks that wasn't super exciting because he didn't do anything great um but he, he was he was a solid player and then you uh going back to your first few picks uh 
I thought it was strange that Aramis Ramirez was your first round pick because I don't ever remember Aramis Ramirez being a first round guy. So he must have been your first pick, but that was in the third round. Mm -hmm, And then Vernon Wells, same thing. I didn't remember him ever being a second round pick. Um, So he must have been your second third round pick. And then you got Garrett Atkins. I remember him. And then Paul Konerko. Yeah. So those were your two third round picks and your two fourth round picks. And then, you know, you got JJ Putts and Victor Martinez, Ben Sheets. We haven't talked about Ben Sheets. Ben I used Sheets to love was great. Ben Sheets. I think we all loved him. It was so sad that his arms gave arm gave out on him. Yeah, the thing I remember about Ben Sheets was he had always had a great whip and a fantastic K to walk. K to walk was always dynamite. Yeah. He not just, to mention his K to nine, which of course is not one of our stats, but still. Right. He must have had a little bit of a homer problem uh, because I, I don't feel like his ERA ever, ever quite uh, matched up with his whip very well. Well, he pitched in Arizona. Uh, was that, I remember him pitching in Milwaukee, which would be just as almost as bad. Um, well, uh, yeah, he was Milwaukee. Only Milwaukee? He didn't pitch in Arizona? Okay, then I'm confusing him with someone yeah, else. Yeah, I must be someone else you're thinking of. Um, but, in, yeah, in 06, his, he walked, or he struck out almost 10 batters per nine and he walked a little less than one that's an that's like a 10k to walk yeah he he was fantastic and although he wasn't pitching in arizona he was still pitching in milwaukee pretty good home run park yeah oh gosh his 2004 season that was our first year playing he pitched 237 innings he only went 12 and 14 but hear this he had a 270 era an 098 whip he had 10 strikeouts per nine, 1.22 walks per nine, so that's like eight or nine K to walk, and he had five complete games. Yeah. Um, and then he never quite replicated that success. Um, always kind of teased a little bit. Next couple years, he had some de- pretty good seasons, not quite that good, and then after 06, in fact, this year we're talking about, he really dropped off. Well, he pitched 237 that inning, that year, innings that year, and never pitched more than 156 after that. He did. He was just a constant, you know, uh, injury waiting to happen. Yeah, the next few seasons he he had injuries. Although it looks like in 08, he did almost hit 200 innings. And he had five complete games. Good ERA, good whip, but the strikeouts were way down and the walks yeah. were up. Yeah. That must, 08 must have been kind of, that, that was his last hurrah. Um, so anyway, uh, Brad re- remembered a shocking amount. He remembered fine little details like he remembered that uh, Josh Beckett, who was someone he had drafted, was 11-2 and two at the All-Star break. And Josh Beckett had a great season that year, and Brad got him pretty late in the draft. Um, and got, yeah, he took him 15th, uh, and he got a lot of mileage out of him. So just another reason Brad ended up getting second place that season. Who got first place? Uh, that was Eric. In 07? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Kennewick Lions, first place, 352. And who was 06? Uh, I think that was you. Oh, that was me. Okay. Yeah. I thought I was 07. Okay. Okay. All right. Moving on from 2007, um, I want to talk about some things we've, the league has been discussing lately about some decisions we have to make. Um, the first one is about two way players. Um, a couple years ago, or was it last, just last year? Or the year before? Year before year before last, we had to vote on Shohei Otani and we had to decide whether we wanted to treat him as 
two players or whether we wanted to essentially treat them as one player. And to me, what we were essentially voting on was, um, are we drafting the, the player themselves or are we drafting the Yahoo versions of them? Because if we're drafting the Yahoo versions of them, then he would, it would be two separate players. Right. right. But we kind of made a philosophical vote there that you draft the player. Now the problem, and I'll try to give the short version of an explanation I've attempted before, um, but the problem is uh, most players just have one version. I like to call them avatars because it's the avatar of that player. It's not the player themselves, it's the, it's the Yahoo avatar. And most players just have one Yahoo avatar. And so when you draft that player, the Yahoo avatar is then added to your roster. And then at that point, they're essentially the same uh, because if you move the Yahoo avatar, if you trade them or drop them, then the same thing happens to that player on your roster. Um, but the problem with Shohei Otani is he has two avatars. Um, so when you draft Shohei Otani, you get both avatars. And one thing that we didn't really, I mean, I guess we did kind of address it. Um, we required that uh, whoever drafted him, in this case Eric, had to maintain both of those avatars to retain control of the player Shohei Otani. Right. And that if he dropped either one of them or traded either one of them, then he would also lose the other avatar and lose the player. Now, that normally isn't really a problem with Shohei Otani because you're probably going to want both of them anyway. Um, but we have not one, but two players this year who, and I just realized this, and I just realized this today, there's a second player who's, uh, uh, well, two more players that are going to have that dual eligibility. One of them is Brendan McKay, who had, you know, a couple of people had him last year when he came up. Um, I think we treated him the same way. If you got the pitcher, you had to have the hitter as well. Um, and then another guy is Jake Cronenworth for San Diego. Do you know much about him? Does that ring a bell? Uh, it rings a bell. In fact, only because I had read a little bit about two-way player, or, yeah, two-way players coming up. Okay. And his name was on there. I didn't go in depth with his, you know, his uh, stats or anything or how, how he performed in the minor leagues. But I do know I'm aware of him. Yeah. No, I, I don't know that Jake Cronenworth is going to be, even if he was one player, um, I don't know that, well, only had one avatar. <laughs> I don't know that he's someone that anyone's even going to own at some point this year, but you, you never know. Um, and the problem with Cronenworth and McKay is that unlike Otani, um, y people are probably only going to want one of those Yahoo versions. Only want one of the, those Yahoo avatars. And it, I feel like, m for me personally, it would discourage me from adding that player if I had to have both of those on my roster. Because that's just not the case for any other player. And there's a little bit of an inequity there that we just can't... There's nothing we can really do about it because that's how Yahoo decides, decided to do it. But there are some workarounds that we could do to make it more equitable if you're owning a player that has two of those avatars. And one of those things we could do, and one thing that um, I think is pretty simple, is if you draft the player, then you still own the player as long as you control at least one of their versions. And that you could leave... Uh, one of the other versions on the waiver wire. No one could pick up that other version because the player is already owned by someone else. So 
I would have to make some sort of announcement or something like that. Or actually, something I could do is I can set waiver dates for any player. And if there's another version of a player that's out there that someone already owns, I can just change the waiver date to like the end of the year. So no one, literally no one could pick up that player. And then there, that wouldn't be a problem. Um, so we just have to decide whether we wanna keep doing it the way we have it or whether we wanna expand that flexibility a little bit with the two-way players so that you don't have to own both of them on your Yahoo roster. You just have to have one of them to maintain control of the player. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've thought some about this, and I, I to be honest, I've wavered back and forth. Um, but I feel like um, I would. My preference is that we treat them all the same. Meaning, uh, Me too. If, whether it's Otani or McKay or whatever, the way they are currently constituted. Okay, so you want to stick with what we had in place already, right? Because I I don't think. I think if a guy wants to pick up McKay and they want to take the advantage of McKay's, what is, is it his pitching that's better or his mm -hmm. hitting? Yeah. They want to take advantage of that's fine, but the hitting comes along with it. And, and I don't think it's fair to let them sort of cherry pick them, you know, because that's what you're doing. Because we won't allow anyone else to have the hitter. So I'm not for that. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I think, you know... Both, either the player has to have both of them, or both, uh, uh, or, or each avatar has to be available to everyone. So, um, so if, now the only problem is, is that Eric already bought in under different circumstances with. Otani. No, it's the same circumstances you're describing now. Well, is it? I mean. So if we say... The circumstances you're describing now are exactly the circumstances we... You said you don't want to change anything. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, that's true. I was going off on a different tangent. Sorry. Yeah, I would rather just leave it the way it is for now. Maybe next year I would be willing to reconsider it after... If Eric doesn't hang on to Otani. Okay, right. so the fact that there's already someone who owns a player with the set of rules we originally voted on kind of makes you not want to mess with anything... Yeah. Until that happens, just complicates it to me, and that's so I I'd rather leave it alone. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, I I I also want to make this change out of fairness. Um, I guess we just kind of have a different idea of what's fair, and that's that. Uh, okay, the other thing we have to vote about on is um, a keeper date, and then whether to make keepers droppable or not. Um, the reason why we might want to consider making keepers droppable, as, as I kind of stated in the group me, is that the draft is supposed to be the most fun, exciting, optimistic moments of the year for everybody. And I, for one, want to see that protected to the greatest extent possible, is without messing with our system too much. Um, and having some something happen to a player after you've kept them that... Uh, puts uh, into question their availability, um, especially if it's a long-term injury, uh, that can just really damper the draft for you because now you're starting with a lot less than you thought you would. Um, and I would hate for that to happen to myself 
and I would hate for that to happen to anyone else. So in my opinion, I think it, I don't care. You can drop as many players as you want up until um, the draft is my take. I know other people have different takes. I don't think a person after keepers are decided, I don't think anyone should be able to swap them out and go, you know what, I changed my mind on this guy, I'm gonna add this guy instead. I don't think that. Um, but I think once you've decided your six keepers, they're locked in with the added ability that up until the draft, you can drop any of them for any reason you want. It doesn't matter to me as long as it's you know increasing the enjoyment of the draft for yourself. Um, and you can recover that money, um, but you wouldn't be able to replace them. So you'd be going in with less keepers, which is a little bit of a disadvantage doing that anyway. Um, so anyway, that's my take. What's your thoughts on that? Well, um, so fundamentally, the reason we would want to be able to drop guys right up to the draft, uh, to me, there's two reasons, basically, um, that are most likely to take place. The biggest one is injury, and we had an example of that last year. Um, with the, Did Severino got hurt during preseason? Yeah, uh, okay. it was before the draft, but after keepers. Yeah, after keepers, okay. So, uh, and that's probably the most brutal <laughs> part of it. Yeah, that was the nightmare scenario. Yeah. A $40, was... one of your top guys. Almost $50. Going down for essentially the whole season. He yeah. did come back near the end, yeah. but in a very too little, limited, too late. Yeah, too, yeah, way yeah. too little, too late. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that, that, that's to me the biggest reason to want to do this. A lesser reason is just, you know, uh, they don't play well in spring training or something of that nature. Sure, or something like maybe you, you keep a, a cheap guy. Like, for instance, I've got Kyle Tucker that I'm considering keeping, like very strongly considering keeping. And if spring training goes poorly and he doesn't have a job out of spring training, I might not want to keep him. Right. That said, <coughs> he's only three bucks. You know, I might just keep him anyway. But um, that, that playing time... Spring training performances, yeah. as you mentioned, right? That, yeah, I was, then that's, I was headed with that other piece as well. So, um, my feeling is, uh, I'd rather just leave it the way it is. If I want to make a concession, it would be on injuries, and that can be a little dicey, a little tricky, because my, the way I would view it is, uh, if a player, you know, up to, you know, the draft. If a player gets injured in spring training uh, and is not going to start the season, then they would be droppable. Now the question is, and you asked me this question when we were talking about it before, is well, who decides if they're going to start the season or not? Yeah, where does right? that information come from? What and do we I, decide as our, our yeah, source? And I don't, I don't know that we can choose a source and say, well, this is the definitive source because. The only real definitive source is the club. So, and the way we would know is that they're going to start the season if they're put on the DL, and I don't even, or IL now, right? And I don't even recall when that happens when they're in spring training. If it, it, I don't think they get put on it during spring training. I think it happens the beginning of the season. Yeah, right I think before. you're right. Usually the day so before, a couple of days before. That would be the definitive answer, but. Right. But we we're not gonna we can't wait till then because we would have already done the draft, so um, I would just have to say, you know, there would have to be pretty much overriding ev evidence, meaning more than one source that says this player is out for 
an indeterminate amount of time beginning with the season. Sure. So that's, and, and I know that's not ideal. I know well, yeah, not. I mean, and then ultimately someone has to make the decision on that. Um, and I suppose we could just put up to a vote, you know, uh, Uncle Kenny wants to drop, you know, this player because it seems like he's going to be out um, it, on opening day um, and the league needs to approve it. Um, and then we just have a vote. I mean, it's more bureaucracy and I'm, I'd like to avoid that just because bureaucracy is no fun and it's just extra work. But um, considering what it could be saving as far as just someone going into the draft uh, just hampered and just f feeling terrible about it, um, maybe in that case it would be worth it. So maybe if someone wants to drop, it just needs to be approved by the league, maybe with a simple majority or something like that. Okay. Um, anyway, I wanted to comment on your take because that's totally legitimate. Yeah. That's the, totally fair. That's part of it. So the, the, as far as the other aspects of it go, um, I think that's all wrapped up in you know, us making judgments and doing our, making our, making our best decisions. Um, and I think that keeps the keeper aspect of it interesting as well. Um, and the last thing, and you know, maybe I'm placing more importance on this than others do, um, but I think that, you know, I like a little bit of time to kind of figure out what other people got going and what I'm competing against going into the draft. And if we have stuff going up right up to the draft or even just a week before, because that still isn't a lot of time and depends on your personal life and what's going on there and how busy you are. But things like, you know, well, what players are going to be available now or what players aren't? Um, and even money, because if a guy's allowed to drop something and recover the money, you know, that can affect you too. Because I, I bet you every, almost everyone does their homework. We we project who we think everyone's going to keep, how much money they have, how much I have versus them. And, um, okay, that even if it changes a week before because of injury, um, it's less likely to happen. It's not going to be so prevalent. But um, I, I just don't like it from a preparation standpoint. Scott had mentioned in our group meeting, he said, well, you know, we're all adept at, you know, changing on, you know, making decisions on the fly adjusting on the fly I think is the way he put it and that's a fair statement because we have to do it during the draft we all have to do it to some extent or another in the draft mm -hmm. because we don't know who people are going to draft right yes but my, my my big but here is yes I have a big but but that's not what I mean um, the big if here or the big question mark for me is while that is true um, the longer you have to adjust and make decisions, the more likely you're gonna make a good decision. And so I don't like being thrown into the circumstance where I have to make a lot of adjustments at the last minute, or even a few. I wanna be as prepared as I can be, uh, as well prepared as I can be. So that's my take on it. Well, curveballs are part of baseball, right, Dad? <laughs> You've heard of trouble with the curve? So uh, you're, that's totally fair. Um, I can understand that. Um, that's part of what makes the draft fun for you, is knowing things ahead of time. Knowing that things are set, and I know Uncle Eric feels the same way. Uh, for me personally, um, well, first of all, I think people dropping keepers is going to be pretty rare. Because you only get six. It's not like we have like ten, even, you know, 
eight, we don't even have eight anymore. We used to do eight. We only have six keepers. And the reason people keep them is because they're, they're valuable at their cost. So if someone drops a player that they've elected to keep, they're, they're already at a disadvantage because now they're getting less value players than everybody else. So I think this is a pretty rare circumstance. Um, for me personally, uh, it, I don't care you know, if someone wants to drop a player even if for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter to, to me personally. Um, if people want to recover their money after the keeper, that's fine with me. As long, you know, if people want to, if it makes people happy, makes them feel good going into the draft, I'm all for that. It doesn't really matter to me, but uh, it is really fair. You know, I, I can understand where you're coming from. So uh, that's one another thing we'll have to vote on, what people think about that. Uh, the next is um, I had proposed uh, in the first episode that we expand the number of active starting pitcher slots so that people, uh, mainly so that people don't he have to keep swapping in and out their starting pitchers and then inevitably miss out on a game from one of their aces because they had to pull them out the day before and then they forgot and you've had things happen to you before where you thought you had a guy in, you confirmed you had it in and then the next day they weren't in your lineup for some reason. If we could just keep those aces in and not have to mess with them, um, that would solve all of that heartache that I feel is shouldn't really be part of the game. Um, so what my proposal was is that uh, we expand the number of starting pitcher slots from two to five. We expand the number of relief pitcher spots from two to four. And then we reduce um, the number of general pitching slots, those P slots, from four to two. Now the total effect is we go from eight total active pitching slots uh, for between all SP and relief and general to 11. So it adds three extra slots. Um, it has no effect on our roster size. We still have 25-man rosters. Uh, it has no effect on the number of uh, RP-only eligible pitchers you can start. Um, in the way we have it now, you can start up to six RP-only players. In this system, you can also start up to six RP-only. The only thing it affects is now um, you can start up to five starting pitchers without having to pull out any of your relievers because the way we have it now you actually can start five starting pitchers at all times you can actually start six if you use those four general uh, pitcher slots except you have to pull out your relievers to do that so all this does is allows you to keep all of your relievers in at all times without having to pull them out because you got a lot of starters going and it just allows you to have more starting pitcher slots so any thoughts on that um, again, you know, what this effectively does is it makes your managing your team lower maintenance. Yeah, it makes it a right? little easier and, as far as getting your guys in and out of your yeah, lineup and, and making sure you're up, up to date on things. And I haven't been able, I've taken the time to completely think this through to the degree I would like to. Um, I'm a little bit of the mindset that I like having, one of the things I like about our league is you have to put some effort into it. I don't want a league that's easy. Um, and certainly I have on many occasions, I, I can't name them, but I know it's happened many times, didn't pitch a guy. Um, I might, I, I, and I don't know what, 
little intricacies there might be, little advantages there might be if you don't have to worry about, you know, you can have, you can start what? You can actually start, what, seven guys? Five starting pitcher slots and two pitcher slots? Well, I mean, it's highly unlikely you're going to have seven guys starting have, one day. M- but, what, but you could have seven, up to seven starting pitchers in... In your active slots. That's, that's fine. Yeah. And I, I don't, like I said, I don't, haven't thought through the intricacies, so I'm not sure. But I, I might be okay to have like maybe three slots, starting pitcher slots. And if you want to design it somehow to allow us to have, I, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm guess I'm undecided on this. I don't think I want five starting pitcher slots. Okay. You know, maybe three. You know, I think that's enough. It still makes it so we have to work a little bit. You put in five, and with two pitcher slots, you, it's basically your pitchers are, you do them and you walk away from them. And the only thing you have to worry about is if they're hurt. Then you don't have to pay attention to when they're pitching or anything else. And that's an element that I happen to like. Yeah. So and that's my preference. That's fine, and that's an element I don't like. Yeah. I don't like that the competition is who can remember to set their lineup. I don't like that. I think the game, for me personally, the game is who can pick the best players. And I, I don't, I think it's making it easier on people to have your best players in your lineup. That's something I want. Okay. Um, if I can just counter that again, because we can't do, as far as I can tell, you couldn't do something similar for hitting. Um, we have to pay attention to our hitters every day. Well, no, you can you can leave in your... Your top hitters at all times. Well, you can. You can't leave. But you're gonna you're gonna suffer if you do that. Well, I mean, sure. Occasionally, like like a guy sits or something like that, and maybe you want to swap them out. But there's players who play 160 games a year, and you're almost never gonna take them out. Yeah, I'm not gonna debate you. There there are there aren't there aren't many. But my point is this: you have to pay attention to your hitters anyway. Okay, if you want to get the maximum out of your hitting, you've got to pay attention who's playing, you've got to pay attention to who's injured. And if you're doing that anyway, it's a matter of just scanning down to your pitchers and doing that too. Granted, even at that, I have missed, we've all missed at times, but I, I again, I would just like it to be just a little bit more work. So that's me. Yeah, and I agree, you do have to check your hitters. Um, but it's not near as often as you have to check your pitchers. It's it's not equitable between the two. Can, you have I, to pull your starters in and out more often with pitchers than you do with your hitters. You have to check your hitters every day, because you don't no, know I, who's I, injured and you don't. We don't know who's playing and who's not playing that particular day. Okay, so I'll let you have the last word there. All right, thanks. All right, next one is uh, trading Fab. You propose that we be able to trade uh, our free agent acquisition budget money. Um, do you want to go ahead and state your case there? Yeah, I thought, um, you know, there's times when you talk about trading and you're real close, but, um, you know, maybe somebody doesn't want to let go of budget money. And uh, to me, there may be times when somebody says, okay, you know, I want this guy, but I don't think he's worth trading my budget money. How about FOB money or FAB money, however you say it? Um, and I'm thinking, you know, me liking to trade, you know, and pick up guys and stuff. Um, I, I, uh, I, I think that's something that could be attractive uh, when we, when we um, 
put it out there on GroupMe and some people responded. Some seemed to hold that money in higher value, in value that I was surprised at, frankly. Um, uh, so, but I just thought it would be a fun thing to have and to do and might make some trades happen that might not otherwise. Um, it's just an extra element to make it more, for me, it was for fun. It was the fun element. Um, and I think that might make some trades more fun uh, and more doable if that was an additional element. So, Well, Fab's a resource, just like budget money's a resource, mm -hmm. just like players are a resource. Yep. Um, I don't have any problem adding that resource as something that's tradable. Um, I'll kind of speak to, I think, I, what I got from Brandon in his posts wasn't that he necessarily thought that Fab was more valuable, just that he thought it was a, a, a separate resource that didn't belong in the same category as those other resources. That that resource he just thought of as a separate thing, um, and he liked that it was the same for everybody, that everybody started with... Um, I admit, not everyone starts with the same amount of money because some get that 50% of your extra budget money so you get a little bit extra but good you said um, that because i was going to point that out but, but for the most i mean generally speaking for the most part it's more or less equitable for everybody when they're adding and dropping players and he just didn't want that to be a tradable resource yeah i think that's and, what he was pointing and, out. and i understand it but uh, on the flip side the same exact thing is true of our budget money we all start out with the same we don't all wind up with the same but we all start out at two two seventies. What we start out with. Yeah, right? I mean, they're both money for yeah. acquiring players. Right, exactly. Um, so I, I don't, he just views that money a no, little bit differently. I'm not. I'm not arguing. He's entitled to view it how he wants to. I'm just saying that when you throw in the aspect of well, you know, everybody's on the same level playing field. We are in budget too. It's just the moves that we make that move change it. Yep. And and that would be no different with this in my mind. Well, as far as I, my take on it, I don't, if people want to trade fab, I, it, that's fine with me. You know, I don't want to tell people, no, you can't trade your resource. Um, I, I don't want to do that. I don't have any particular interest in, ex, you know, off the top of my head in including fab in my trade discussions. Um, trading takes work. It takes effort and having to and throw in another resource that to me isn't quite as valuable. Um, I don't see myself wanting to in put the effort to include that. Um, I think I probably, it's not like I'd say, oh, you want to talk fab trade? Then no, I'm out. I mean, I would, I would continue the conversation, but it's probably, it's not something I would ever propose. It would be like, oh, this person wants to bring fab into the mix. Okay, we can talk about it. Um, but as far as like people want to do that, I don't have a problem with that. And I'm trying to think like what 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 would be some fundamental difference between trading trading budget money and fab money, and besides that they're a little bit different things they're not exactly the same, but fab money it doesn't carry over to the next year, right? No. And so it the only advantage it gives you is in the existing season in which you make the trade. So and the only advantage it gives you is it might give you more money to pick up somebody along the way, um, whereas budget money when you trade that that can have a longer term impact on you know a player's ability to make their team better. So because that does carry over and it does affect the draft the next year and everything else. So I think that's one difference and that's why Fab money would to me 
not carry the same weight as our budget money. One of the reasons. Well, I'm, so. I'm kind of repeating myself here because I think I, I said this, although it may have gotten lost in all the back and forth conversation on GroupMe. Um, but the value of trying to compare the value of FAB with your budget money, to me, it's, it's contextual. You know, I, right now, my budget money is worth way more than my FAB because the budget money is what I'm going to be using to buy all my players. I can't use FAB to buy all my players right now. FAB's worth nothing to me at this moment. But once the draft's over, my budget money isn't worth anything to me anymore. Now my FAB's worth everything because that's what I'm using to pick up all of my players. I can't use budget money to do that. Except you can with trades. You can use your budget money to acquire players through trades. So in season, FAB jumps up in value and budget money drops in value um, it, for me I, just because at that point I can't use budget money anymore but I can use fab um, now that also depends on whether I'm competitive or not if I'm being competitive which I think most people are competitive at the beginning of the year there's usually one or two teams who are like nope definitely playing for next year this is a rebuilding year um, but I'd say at least 10 managers every year are trying to compete this year so I think for at least 10 managers every season, FAB is more valuable than budget money once the season starts. But as your win-loss, you know, not win-loss record, but as the season moves on, that can definitely shift if you decide to be playing for next year. Yeah, so. and, and to, my last comment of this is you're absolutely right. The value in any given moment is, con as you put it, contextual. And that even holds true during the season. I, I don't think you can make a general statement that during the season, FAB is all, always going to be more valuable than budget because of just what you said. When, player, you know, when a guy decides he's at a certain point during the season where he's not competing for next year, and we see this in trades all the time, right? Last year was a perfect example, all the deals that were made at the end, the high-end players that were traded and the money they exchanged hands. That was during the season. Um, and it, uh, uh, so that still can make budget money you know, quite valuable and fab not so valuable if you're not still trying to move up or, or win during the season. Yeah, there are, there are some exceptional situations where even if you are playing for next year, the fab money might be worth more because I can think um, there were some times near the end last year um, where there were some players who were dropped that might have been okay keeper options um, and only people who had fab left were able to get those players um, so at that point fab was really valuable even if you were playing for next year um, so and, and I agree with that uh, but I think that's the exception rather than the rule and I, I can think no, back a couple of teams that picked up guys like that that were absolutely they're not keeping it. I don't. I don't see anyone among the projected keepers that were picked up late in the season under those circumstances that are going to be kept. Yeah. Anyway, but, being a dead horse here. Yep. Point being, they uh, they have different values at different times. It's my and dead it's, horse. It's, that's what I'm talking. It's about. really hard to compare them. Yeah. Anyway, we just have to decide whether that's a resource we're yeah. willing to include in trade discussions. So yep. that's another thing we we'll have to vote yep. on. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, the keeper options for our top four finishers last season. All right, we're back with our discussion of uh, keeper prospects. I say prospects. That can be confusing. I'm not talking about prospects, but 
uh, prospective keepers there you go. <laughs> for uh, our top four finishers last year. Uh, we're going to start with the fourth place team, Tyler. Um, Hollywood Swingin'. Is this going to be the year that Tyler changes his name? I don't know. <laughs> I'm waiting. For, well, I haven't changed my name ever. Yeah. I, I, um, and Danny, I, I think we had a league vote and make Danny change his name or else he has to draft uh, Morse. Yeah, Even I, if he's not available. He has to have a blank spot on his roster I, I for th- Morse. I think Tyler and Danny should not trade change their name until they win <laughs> it's it, it's only right that if once they win and i they will both win eventually they're both very good players uh, they they're are. both gonna win uh, at some point uh i remember i had to wait a really long time uh i i came in i was a top three finisher for many many years uh i only placed one time outside of the top four and i was sixth um for like 10 years before I won. Well, you didn't win till the what the thirteenth season. Uh, so I won in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Which yeah, that would have been our thirteenth season yeah. for so for twelve seasons, I was top four except for one of them before I finally won. So, uh, trust the process. Uh, it'll happen for these two. Uh, anyway, getting to Tyler's team. Um, who you got for Tyler keeping this year? What are you thinking? I'm gonna give you. Five and then I've got a question mark about one. So, Me too. Me um, too. So, I'm, well, I'll, I'll start with the one I have the question mark. It's Degrom, um, because of the forty-four dollar price tag, and and I'll justify it when I get to the end here. So I've got him with Degrom, Yellick, Albies. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to keep Barrio since he just paid for him. Uh, Baez and same with Kepler. I assume he's going to keep Kepler. Otherwise, why trade Strasburg at all? Um, or for a player, so that those if he kept those guys, that that's one hundred and thirty-five dollars. He's got two hundred and forty-four to spend. That leaves him with one hundred and nine dollars, or an average uh, dollar per remaining draft pick of five five point seven three. It's pretty low. It's really low. In fact, I believe it's the second lowest that I calculated. So I'm wondering if he keeps Degrom. I, I've no doubt he's going to keep Yellick. Uh, DeGrom is a top pitcher. Maybe he still tries to trade him. I don't know. And if he doesn't keep him, then who does he keep? And I really struggle. I mean, does he keep Kluber? I mean, Kluber's coming off of injury. He's on a new team. So, But he would save him $10 uh, or $9, actually. So anyway, that's that's where my big question mark is. I'm, I don't doubt any of the other players. I think those players will be kept. I just don't know what he does about DeGrom. Yeah, I well, first of all, I did speak with him, and he says he's planning on keeping Degrom. Okay, so there's that. Um, I I mostly I have the same guys. I just there's there's I actually have seven decent options for him that I would consider. So I'm not sure which of two players he's going to keep. So I agree he's going to keep Yelich, Baez, Degrom, probably uh, Barrios, Barrios, and. Probably Kepler since he just grabbed them. And his other two options are Ozzy Alsby's. And you know what? Kyle Schwarber hit pretty well last year. Um, he only hit 250, but as we know, 250 isn't you know going to kill you anymore. Uh, but he had an 870 OPS. Really, that's good. And he hit 38 home runs. Uh, he had a healthy walk rate. 
His strikeout rate was not that great, but 25%. Uh, there's guys with a lot worse than that. So uh, 92 RBIs, 82 runs at $7. That's pretty keepable, I think. Um, I think he'll return more value than $7. Um, so I don't know. It, it's going to be between him and Albies, I would presume. Uh, Albies isn't cheap. He's 22 bucks. Um, he did hit 295, but he hit for a worse OPS than Schwarber. Uh, less home runs. Uh, he did have more stolen bases. He had 11 net stolen bases. Um, runs and RBIs were essentially flip-flops. He had 102 runs and 86 RBIs. Um, but when you look at the raw numbers and then you look at their costs, I don't know that Schwarber is the better value here. Um, he's probably not the flashier name, but... Yeah. Uh, well, that's some interesting numbers, and I I didn't compare them. Uh, maybe some of it is my bias towards Schwarber because I spent so much of him his first that's year. That's right. And he that, broke that, his that, leg, and then that was like, <laughs> and he cost me a lot of money. So yeah, that was my most disastrous draft ever. Anyway. And, and you know, so, I think I think he is a little bit of under people's radars because of that, and because of subsequent he's seasons. He's subperforming. Yeah, just yeah. he's he subperformed, and I think he came on in the second half last year, so people probably wrote him off again in the first half. I think he may have even been on waivers at some point last year um anyway uh so there's tyler it'll be interesting to see if he makes any more moves um and then which of those seven guys uh ends up getting left out all right uh moving on to our third place team third place danny may the morse be with you this is a hugely power-packed offense that Danny's gonna be rolling into the season with. I'm assuming we probably have him keeping the same guys. Uh, why don't you uh, go through your list? Yeah, Danny's pretty easy. Not just, I mean, looking at it, I think it's pretty easy. And I, Danny and I have spoken frequently, so I, barring some, you know, amazing change of heart he would have, uh, it's pretty locked in that he's gonna keep J.D. Martinez, uh, Ronald Acuna, Pete Alonso, uh, Trevor Story. Joey Gallo and Soler. Um, those guys are going to cost him a total of $103 is all. And uh, he's got 291 to spend. That's going to leave him with $188 or $9.89 per additional player that he needs to add. Um, that's and that's almost $10. That's you know, I don't know if anybody else does this dollars per player that they still have to draft but I've always done it and um, around ten dollars is a really good number Danny's got such a solid offense I mean such a great offense just with those six guys he could replace them you know his remaining spots could be weaker players and he'd still be right up near the top in offense and now he's got $188 to spend on starting pitching and relief pitching yeah, if I'm Danny, I'm feeling really good about, he, about my team right now. Um, obviously, there's the draft to go, and then you have to play out the seasons. So, right, of course, and, and injuries. You know, guys get hurt, you know, guys you know, like Alonzo coming off a rookie season, maybe sophomore slump. Um, so, so many things can happen, uh, but Danny's a front runner right now, just based off the strength of the value of the players he has and the amount of money he's going to have going into the draft. We talked in a previous episode about the categories that are um, most highly correlated with scoring rotisserie points on offense in our league. 
and those were total bases and OPS. And he's got those for days with these six guys. Huge head start offensively. Um, now, he'll have to put together a pitching staff. Um, but I, I would feel comfortable saying, you know, I would have a hard time believing Danny isn't going to finish as a top five team. I, I, I feel really, I would bet money right now. He's going to finish as a top five team just with these guys he has. Um, yeah, I would say it, unless he totally fumbles his pitching draft, uh, I'm going to say top three for sure. And with, if he makes, if he de- has a good draft and injuries don't come into play, uh, uh, he's right up there in the running for number one spot. Well, no, he's definitely a front runner, um, and his uh, his keepers aren't hard to pick out. Um, he and I talked. Uh, we had a little bit of a back and forth. We were discussing Jorge Soler and comparing him to Yoan Moncada, who uh, was is a guy I have because we were talking about potentially trading them. And he made it. He brought us some really good points about Solaire's uh, barrel rates and his hard hit rate. And if you go to Baseball Savant and look at all his all those batted ball metrics, Solaire's was at the top last year. Um, Solaire was just incredible. I'm definitely better than Yoan Makata. Um, we were just kind of discussing some other factors there and that kind of thing. But uh, Solaire had a phenomenal season. Um, we'll just see if he can stay healthy. Number one, last year was the first year he had, I think, I think even played a hundred games, um, even between majors and minors. Um, and we'll see if the league figures him out. You know, we know, don't know. That said, I believe he got better in the second half last year. His plate discipline improved, um, so he got better as the year went on. Um, we'll see what kind of you know every year's different. Every year's different. And we'll see if he can kind of replicate some of those results he had last year. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about who Danny has. And, you know, I guess the there there are some potential question marks. You talked about Solaire. Uh, is he going to hit, what did he hit, 51 home runs or something? 48. Or 48. I, you know, just, I, I, I don't know if he'll do that again. But, you know, he's obviously got very good power either, anyway. Um, but then there was Joey Gallo, who has struggled with you know injury issues in the past right and so you know how he stays you know how healthy does Pete Alonzo or he was the one that hit 51 home runs does Pete Alonzo perform that way again or does he have some regression I think Martinez Acuna and Story are locked pretty much um those yeah, guys far an injury those guys are we kind of know who they are yeah yeah okay uh second place um, Brandon uh, almost uh, got his third win last year. Um, who you got for Brandon? Well, Brandon's kind of the uh, the Danny of pitching. Uh, maybe not quite as equal, but but boy, he's got some strong pitching um, with Cole and Paddock and Bueller and Woodruff. That's just <laughs> that that uh, uh, the only other one that I think kind of is close to that is probably Angelo. Um, and uh, so I've got him keeping Cole, Paddock, uh, Guerrero. I don't see him dropping him, giving up on him just yet. Um, Bueller, Woodruff, and Bichette. And um, for Brandon, uh, it's he was fortunate to have a trade that you know helped him bring his cost down. And uh, his 
Uh, it's gonna. He's only gonna spend ninety five dollars on those players, with almost half of it coming from coal, and and then uh, that's gonna give him seven dollars and sixty eight cents per player average for drafting. Um, so that's pretty nice. Yeah, it is exceptional value. Um, Garrett Cole, he's probably paying uh, about at cost. You know, Garrett Cole probably goes in eh, maybe closer to fifty dollars in the draft, so he's maybe getting a little bit of a discount there if if. Um, rather than throwing him back in there and trying to redraft him. Um, Paddock's a little... Um, Paddock at $25 is maybe a little less than he might go from the draft, too. He might go for 30 35 maybe, considering how well he played last year. Um, but the other guys are all look like they're all pretty strong values. Um, and I agree. I, I think he's he's the, the pitching version of Danny's team. Um, I'm looking at one of my favorite rankings, pitcher rankings website is uh, pitcherlist.com. And I like to look at a lot, a lot of different rankings. And there's some times where I disagree with their rankings here. Uh, but looking at the guys um, Brandon has, so Garrett Cole, ranked number one on pitcher list. Uh, Walker Bueller, ranked number five on right, pitcher list. Right. Um, and then kind of a little surprising to me, Chris Paddock, uh, he got him, he has, he's ranked 25 here. Um, that's still back end number two starter as his number three probably, and then Woodruff uh, is ranked at thirty three. So uh, there's two number one pitchers and uh, a couple number three pitchers. Uh, that's that's fantastic from the get go. And then a couple of nice young guys in Bichette and Guerrero. Um, I, I like him having Cole because that's a really nice trade piece too. You know, if this doesn't pan out for Brandon this year with his little lower money and, you know, you're not quite sure what you're going to get out of Guerrero and Bichette this year maybe. If things don't go well, boom, he trades Garrett Cole, gets a nice return for that, and he's even, and these guys are still cheap next year. So it's a really nice position for Brandon to be in. Yeah. I, he's, not quite as, he's not in quite as good a position as Danny because of money. Because Danny's got you know forty two dollars more, so he's not going to be as, as strong a position to draft hitters as Danny is pitchers. But he's still in a very good position. I expect Brandon to be in the top half of the league, and maybe may I would put Brandon definitely top five, if not higher. Well, I think Brandon's a really diligent player anyway, and you know even if he didn't have this good of a start, um, he tends to be really competitive. Yeah. So I, I'm in agreement there. All right, and finally, our last uh, look at uh, a team's keepers is our champion, David, who he doesn't quite have the value, I don't think, in keepers as some of these other teams. And he's got some tough decisions to make, some, some guys that are maybe about what you think they're worth um, and maybe not, you know, maybe not saving a lot of money on these guys. Um, but... Who do you got for David? Well, um, the first player I have is is his most expensive player is Freeman, and you know I don't know. You know, I, I tried to look at this as if I was as if uh, can I talk as if I were David, and you know I don't know if I keep Freeman. I mean, as good as he is, and even at forty four dollars, it's a decent. You know, it's not a terrible price or anything, but. Uh, you know, just because of the money. He's got the least amount of money. He's got $223. So if he keeps Freeman, then I've got him keeping Bogart, um, Chris Bryant, 
Um, and then Judge at $13 is a great value. Donaldson at $9 I think is going to be a great value. And Ryu, if, Ryu however you say his name, uh, assuming he pitches somewhere in the ballpark of what he did this year at $5, he's a downright steal. Uh, he is going to Toronto, so he's coming out of L.A. where it's a good pitcher's park to Toronto, which is a good hitter's park. So I don't know how that's going to impact him. But but that's all $121. It's going to leave him with $102 or $5.36 uh, per player for drafting. And I don't think – I think he's the lowest. He's going to be the, come out the lowest if he were to keep all these players. He might, instead of keeping Freddie Freeman, he might keep Michael Brantley, which would save him $27 and give, put him in a much better uh, position for you know, drafting. It'd add you know, a couple, almost a couple dollars per player for drafting. But, uh, but that's where I see David. Yeah, uh, Freeman, um, I want to do a little experiment, see you know, if we can get you to be a little more decisive on this. How many home runs do you think Freddie Freeman hit last year? Oh, I don't know. He hit 38. 38 is correct. Uh, what do you think his batting average was? Mm, three something. 295. 295. Okay. Uh, what do you think his OPS was? Nine something. 938. How many runs do you think he had? Oh, gosh. No, I'm. <sighs> 95. 113. Oh. Okay. How many RBIs? 105. 121. Okay. So, now that you know his numbers, is that worth 44 bucks? I never thought it wasn't worth 44 bucks. Oh, okay. Okay. I just look at some things a little bit different than others, and hasn't served me well the last few years, so maybe I need to change my, uh, have a paradigm shift, right? <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I'm going, yeah, $44? I didn't, I didn't say it was not worth $44. I just said... Um, you know, I didn't know if David could afford it. Yeah, and, and you're you're. I I I think we've had this conversation just personally between you and I. Um, but I look the way I look at budget money is, I have X amount of money to spend. I want to get as much value back as possible for that money. Um, so David has forty four dollars he can spend on Freeman, or he can spend it somewhere else. And the question is. Is he going to get back more value out of that forty-four dollars than he is from Freddie Freeman? And that's, to me, that's what I look at primarily. Right. Now there are some other little you know factors in because you got to fill out your roster and stuff like that. But um, I think Fr Freddie Freeman is a good bet to return forty-four dollars. And I think any time you can get a top player who can return what you pay for him, I think that's a a a, a, a good player to keep. Generally speaking. Um, yeah, I, I have eight guys that uh, I'm, I don't pick six of them. Uh, there's a few more obvious ones. Josh Donaldson being an obvious one. Aaron Judge being an obvious one. Hunjin Ryu being an obvious one. Um, and then, yeah, Freddie Fre he's got to pick between Freddie Freeman at 44, Bogarts at 26, Brian at 24, uh, even Michael Brantley at 17, and then Patrick Corbin at 32, who pitched pretty well last year. Um, uh, Corbin's is he pitched for the Yankees. Uh, and no, Corbin. Do I get him? I get him mixed up with uh, the other guy. Uh, no, Patrick Corbin is on the Diamondbacks. I'm sorry. Um, oh, actually, he got traded to the Nationals. No, he was on the Nationals. He last was on year. the Nationals. He signed with the Nationals last I'm year. I'm sorry. I, I, I. Okay, so 
I have occasionally a couple players that I confuse, and I confuse Corbin all the time with. Um, uh, hold on. I'm well, while you're looking that up, yeah. I'll speak on Patrick Corbin. Pitcher list has him ranked twelfth, so that is a low end number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for thirty two bucks, sounds fairly reasonable to me. So that's someone he should definitely consider. I'm not saying that that's how he should go or that's a that's a no brainer, but that's someone who should be in consideration. Paxton is who I confuse him with. Oh yeah, de- yeah, definitely James Paxton because <laughs> of his injuries. Right, you probably shouldn't be paying yeah, thirty two yeah, yeah, bucks yeah. for James Paxton, yeah. especially now because I believe he's out for three or four months at this point. He yeah. went down again, so that'll be interesting to see where yeah. Paxton goes um, from in the draft. So just just for a frame of reference, I think um, with these guys, and we didn't do the, I didn't do this in the past, but I think I will be spending the most money of any team uh, just because of Mike Trout, um, but well, and Mookie Betts. So I'm going to have 180 dollars that I'm spending, and my I, fortunately for me, I do have a fair amount of money, but I'm going to be at six dollars and sixty eight cents a player for drafting. Um, on the far other end, there's you. You and Eric have the same amount of money, and if you keep the guys I think you're going to keep, you're going to spend $61 in keepers, and he's going to spend 60 Okay. Okay, so you're essentially the same. And you're going to average $12.47 a player. So that, I mean, that even beats Danny's by two and a half bucks. Beats me by, you know, nearly double. Um, so uh, you guys have... Uh, big oodles and gobs of money to spend um, and if you draft well and you guys usually do I think that gives you both uh, huge legs up in the draft and in the season well I sure hope so <laughs> um, thank you for that uh, the money analysis I hadn't done that at all it's always fun to see the per player amount I think that's something that they always had when we drafted through Yahoo they always had the the per player the couple times we did mm-hmm. the auction, um, but then uh, once we went to kind of offline and then the fan graphs I don't know if it has it at that point but all right well there you have it there's the full keeper analysis for every team uh, next step is for us to vote on some things uh, and then kind of get our season going going uh, we'll be back again uh, maybe in a week or two with uh, uh, more podcasts uh, we're not done even though the keepers are done. Uh, Always plenty to talk about. And we'll look forward to talking to you guys next time.